This is a podcast from Minute Media. So this was a really fun podcast for me to do. Rob Zastrisny was on the Chicago Cubs. He came up in August of 2016. I instantly took a liking to this guy reading that he was going up to everybody in the clubhouse and introducing himself. Hi, I'm Rob. I'm a rookie from Missouri, a second-round pick in 2013, and I want to show you that I can be a part of this team. And he pitched great down the stretch, and he was on the playoff roster for the NLCS, did not get in, and then not on the roster for the World Series. And then sitting in the corner of the clubhouse, kind of just digesting everything that had happened as a rookie, winning a World Series but not playing. And I was covering the game, talked to literally everyone, and then I sat down with Rob and had my best conversation or my most memorable conversation of the night. Like Albert Elmora was telling me that uh, I didn't want to be the guy that overslid home plate because if you go back and you watch the 10th inning, he touches it twice. C.J. Edwards was so happy that he didn't mess up in the 10th inning. I mean, think about that. Chapman blows the game. Who are you turning to? Hey, Carl Edwards, the Cubs are trying to win a World Series for the first time since 1908. Can you get three outs at the 10th? Well, no, you can't. You got two. And hey, Mike Montgomery, ye of never doing anything, can you come and get the final out of the World Series? And of of course, he did on the weak tapper to Chris Bryant. But Rob Zastrisny is now hanging out five years later, remembering that night, and he's got some great stories on the catching situation with three catchers, Miguel Montero, David Ross, and a young Wilson Contreras. I think you'll love that. He's got some stuff on Rizzo and Fowler, Joe Madden, a ton uh, packed into this podcast, and Rob's just a great guy, easy to like. So thank you for checking out DeWindy. As per always, subscribers are my heroes, so please do that if you haven't already. And uh, yes, Rob Z right now reliving five years ago when the Cubs won the World Series. It's DeWindy City Podcast. Showtime. Carrie Wood, you are feeling the love tonight. How what is it? What's it like for you to see this happen? It's just unbelievable. I mean, just glad to be here with the guys and enjoying it. And just from clubhouse guys to ushers to just all the people that have been here in, in the stadium waiting for the last thirty plus, obviously years. But it's been a lot more than that. But these guys have been here for a long time, and just so just so cool to be here and enjoying the moment with these guys. Coolest thing I think I've seen tonight is that you're wearing the Ron Sano jersey. Listen, Ronnie Ronnie never saw this game. He never saw us win this game, so he's going to be with me from here on out. All right, so it's been an incredible five years since the Chicago Cubs won the World Series, and uh, I was fortunate at that time to – cover the team, do post-game shows. And when they won game seven in Cleveland, there was this lefty reliever who was just hanging out by himself in the corner of the Cubs clubhouse, kind of soaking it all in. And I figured that we should sit down and just have a chat. And Rob Zastrisny, you were kind enough to to hang with me that night and amongst some some Bud Light uh, bottles and, and, and the Cubs winning the World Series, which uh, I think well, nobody will ever forget. 
what do you remember, first of all, just about that night going into that game? And you, of course, you were active in the NLCS, right? You were on the NLCS, you were playing, and you were a part of the team that year, but you weren't on, you didn't have the pressure of playing, unfortunately, uh, in the World Series, but you were, you know, you're, you're sitting there and the Cubs are about to play game seven of the World Series. Yeah, it was, uh, the NLCS was cool because I did a really good job of getting the mound warm for Aralis Chapman to come pitch. So <laughs> they'd call down, they'd say, hey, get Rob going. And so I'd get up there, I'd break in the mound for 10 pitches, and then they'd say, sit Rob down, Chapman's going in the game. So that that was my job. And then uh, going into the World Series, it was basically if Schwarber can play, he's going to be on the roster. So me, I'm thinking he, he's been in the fall league, I think, for a little bit at the time. And his bat would really help our lineup. When they made the call, they're like, hey, Kyle's take, taking your spot. I was like, I was bummed. And I, I remember, I'll never forget this. I did an interview with uh, Brad Lidge. I don't know if he was, who he was with. But I remember thinking it was cool. I grew up an Astros fan. And so he's talking to me and everything. And I get a call from our front office during the phone interview. And I go, hey, I actually have to take this call. And he goes, okay, cool, no problem. I take the call and uh, I can't remember who it was. I think it was... Uh, I'll be able to tell you who it was in a little bit, but he, he called me and he goes, Hey man, uh, we're taking you off the roster for Schwarber. And so I was bummed. And then I remembered I had to finish my interview. So to get back on, he goes, Hey, you good to go. I was like, yeah, but just a heads up. I just got taken off the world series roster. And he goes, Oh man. So we finished the interview. It was definitely, I was a little more bummed in the second half of the interview, but um, after what he did, I you definitely can't blame him. That's gotta be the highlight of your baseball career. I would think that series, right? Honestly, that whole year was the, yeah. like, get, I debuted that year and everything. It was super special, especially uh, not a lot of guys. I mean, I, I don't know the numbers, but there's quite a few people who don't get to debut with the team they got drafted by. So I, I thought that was super special for me. And, uh, all, like, the Cubs will always have a special place in my heart for that reason. And uh, just that whole year in general, like, I can't really pin down one moment. I mean, obviously the World Series winning, but everything leading up to that was just as great. Who was your first batter? Do you remember the first bat? The first batter I faced was Charlie Blackman, and I, I struck him out. And everyone's like, "Oh, dude! Like did, this year we're going around the bullpen." They're like, "Who's your first strikeout?" And everyone's like, "Oh, I was this guy. I was this guy." So and so. They're like, "Rob, who are you?" And I was like, "Charlie Blackman." They're like, "Dude, that's awesome." But the other side of that story is he was just coming off a 15-day DL stint with, with like a right oblique, and I'm not sure he was supposed to go up and swing. They just ran out of bats, and they're like, "All right, Charlie, go ahead." <laughs> and so I got. I got 0-2 on him pretty quick, and then he took kind of a half swing at a fastball. And so don't tell that other side of the story, but that, that was I, – I always thought that was pretty funny. Well, hey, you could have not thrown strikes, and all of a sudden Blackman's on. Exactly. There's there's that. Let's, let's, let's put that in there. I want to go back to 2016, but, like, your journey uh, – I mean, the Cubs thought incredibly well of you, and you pitched well, uh, but then as pitchers do, you, you've been battling injuries for a while here. Yeah, I had a lat injury in 17. Um, that kind of sidetracked me a little bit because I, I wanted to come back because I I'd just been on the you know postseason roster and everything. And I was like, I'm a big part of this team. I need to come back and help these guys win a second World Series. So I kind of rushed back from uh, the lat injury. And what I did was I learned how to compensate and throw with different parts of my body. And it just made me a significantly worse pitcher. I started throwing across my body. I started cutting the fastball instead of reaching through it. And, uh, you know, hindsight, if you can go back in time, you say, Hey, I just rest for an extra month, month and a half. And I come back when I'm healthy. But at that time, I mean, I just wanted to get back to the playoffs. I just wanted to get back to the big leagues. Like that was my team. That's who I wanted to be with. So 
that kind of sidetracked me for a little bit. I corrected my delivery after the 2019 season. It was too slow of a process. I wish I would have like rebuilt it from scratch. And after that, everything was taken off. I was throwing a lot harder and then I fractured my elbow. So had surgery on that, signed with the Marlins and now I'm healthy and my delivery feels great. So I'm in a great place. I just wish I would have done it a little bit earlier. Maybe a return to the Cubs. I mean, we're heading into free agency here, right? Yeah, yeah, two two days from now, and definitely something that I would not would not be opposed to. I, I, I had a lot of fun there. I have a house in Scottsdale still, so it, it, I loved it there. And uh, like I said, they'll always have a special place in my heart. Yeah, yeah. So, do you remember this this rando reporter coming up to you and sitting down? Do you remember that interview at all, or is it, is so it I, just, I, is it just special <laughs> to me, Rob? Let's let's get let's 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 be honest here about our relationship because I I will always remember that moment in time. But I don't know if like you were like you know, in another whole world. Well, honestly, like at the time I was like, okay, it's an interview. Like, like it was fine and everything. I thought it was cool. Cause we were sitting down and we were more relaxed and like standing up. And I was at a point in my emotions where I was like, I'm just going to be honest and talk my feelings through because like, I, I didn't know what was going on. I was like, I need to take a breather real quick. And then you came over and talked to me, but I actually had maybe 15, 20 people over the next couple months, reach out and talk to me about that picture that came out of me sitting there. They're like, this is so cool. And I, at the time I didn't really even, I was like, okay, like this is probably abnormal. We're sitting on a champagne soaked floor, but I had a lot of people reach out and be like, this is really cool. So, I mean, that is one interview that has stuck with me for a long time. Now that makes me feel good. Like, wow. Okay, okay. Good. It, you know, like it, it actually moved around in, in the baseball world. Cause I, I don't know. I, there was something about your journey that, um, I just thought was incredibly cool. Like here's a guy who you know, you're, you're in this clubhouse with all these vets and you were such a, I just want to contribute, just want to be here, do my part, however I can help dude. And it was almost unlikely that you were in that whole, in the, and you know, it was unlikely that you were there plus the whole pressure of the whole thing. I mean, going for the first world series in 108 years. I mean, that's just a crazy spot to be in. And I, I, just, I respected the way you went about it. Yeah, I appreciate that. And that's, I mean, from the second I walked into the clubhouse, I didn't know anybody, but I think CJ Edwards was the only guy I knew really well. And I can't remember if Al Mora was up at the time, but he was up and I played with him for years. So I, I got up to the clubhouse. I was never in big league camp, anything like that. And so as soon as I walked in, um, Ben Stobers was like, you're Rob. And I was like, yeah, he goes, it's really nice to meet you. We're glad to have you. And from then on out, I was like, I'm part of this team and I'm going to do what I can to be you know, the, the best teammate I can. And I mean, that's how that clubhouse was. And it's something I'll never forget about that team. Like obviously the ring and trophy and everything, but just the way that clubhouse meshed together is just the perfect fit of like enough young guys with enough veteran guys. There were no real, like, and obviously there are a lot of superstars now, but other than like the veteran guys, there were no young superstars on that team. It was all a bunch of guys trying to prove themselves. And I, I love that team. Yeah. What do you remember about the, the rain delay and, and, and Jason's speech? Yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's the part that sticks out to me the most is if I think about that team was we were walking down the clubhouse and I'm not on the roster. So as soon as they said, hey, the game's delayed, I was like, well, I'm going to go sit in front of my locker. And I never checked my phone during postseason games because like during a regular game, you come in, you check your phone, you got a text message from your dad or mom saying, hey, I saw you or your, your wife. And during the World Series, it was just everyone that has ever existed in my life. It was like, hey, I saw you in, in the dugout or hey, I saw you. So I was like, I'm not going to look. I, I'm not going to be able to like decipher through who I need to text back. So I was like, I'll just wait till after the game. And 
it ended up being funny story. As soon as we won, I walked back into the clubhouse and I called my wife. And I was like, Hey, like, or she's my girlfriend at the time, but now wife. And like, we, we talked some things through and then my phone immediately died because I was getting so many notifications. So I ended up throwing it on the charger, but um, yeah, Hayward speech. We, I thought I was walking back to the clubhouse. I was like, I'm just going to sit there, stay out of everybody's way. Cause I'm not playing. So somebody needs something. They say, Rob, go grab this. Like every now and then David Ross, they like, go grab me a coffee. No problem. That's kind of what I was there for. But as soon as we walked out of the dugout, uh, I think Hayward was like waving us into the weight room. And I was like, okay, let's, let's see what this is about. And I just remember Davey Martinez tried to walk in there and Hayward was like players only, like we're, we're, we're going to talk about this. And it was great. It was like, he just basically talked, talked about banding together as a team. And he was like, we have one chance to win a world series tonight. And he was like, we're not going to be sorry for ourselves. Like he's like, Chapman's been pitching his butt off because Chapman was emotional and he had no reason to be, because he was the only reason we were there. One of the huge reasons we were there, he, he was icing his body after every game. Like, the guy was grinding and he was like, don't feel down. We're going to win this thing for you. And then he was like, Schwarber, you're up first. He's like, you're going to lead us off. And as soon as Schwarber hit, hit that ball, if you watch, he's looking at the dugout like, I did it. Like, we're doing this thing. And as soon as he hit that ball and it went through, I was like, we just won this game. So it, it was awesome. The Chapman part of it, it's interesting that he was icing himself up and doing all the uh, precautions that he could were, were you thinking in game six when he's out there and then he goes even back out in the ninth after the game is well over you're thinking like uh with all due respect here but like hey joe what are you what are you doing dude like this is not this we, we got game seven tomorrow yeah and hindsight's always 2020 like anytime anyone talks about the blake snell thing they're like oh they pulled blake snell too early it's like yeah but third time through the order is not as good he's got a couple righties coming up you know what i mean like if Snell had gone out there and given up a two-run shot. They'd be like, dude, analytics told you to pull him out. What are you doing? So hindsight's always 20-20 on those things. But my this is way long ago. My high school coach, he's a legend down in Texas. His philosophy was get to the final game. And so the ace pitcher on our team always threw the state semifinal because he was like, we have to get to the game to get a chance. And I think that's what was going through Joe's head was anything can happen in game seven. We just got to get there first. And he thought, Chapman was our best chance to get there. Let's rewind back to uh, game four against the Giants. And you're down late. Cueto's pitching game five. That was a one-nothing game. Javi hit a, you know, the, hit a bomb that, I mean, it was as tight as could possibly be. I think that game kind of gets lost in the whole mix of the run. Five-run rally and, and Chapman closes it out. Just the mentality around the, the team and, I, I don't know when, when you guys were down, what was it like in the clubhouse or, or in the dugout and who's, who was, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming Rizzo was talking a lot, or maybe, maybe it's just like, that's like fans thinking that there's a lot of chatter when really it's just, you're going up there and you're doing your job. But what, what do you remember about the, the opening round series? So I'm glad you brought that game up. It was actually, for me, that was the, the turning point for us. Like that giants team was very, very good. And uh, seeing Cueto in game five, was not anything that we all wanted to do. So the big mindset going into that game was win game four. And I actually tweeted out the other day when the Braves lost at home and had to go back to Houston. I was like, you don't want to give a team momentum going into the, the, the final couple of games, but different scenario, we were going back to Wrigley and everything, but Cueto was so good at Wrigley. We just didn't want to see him, but actually me, Hamill and Trevor Cahill got sent back to Arizona right before that game to throw live. And so we, uh, we threw our game. There's me, Hamill and Kale. I think we all threw like three or four innings 
and uh, then we went and watched it at a restaurant. And uh, I remember wow. sitting there. Yeah. So we, we, that was the only playoff game that I missed. I, I, I had to watch that one on TV, but they, they, they sent us back because they were going to activate one of us if we got to the NLCS. And it was <laughs> if the Dodgers won, it was probably going to be me because they have a ton of lefties. And if the Nationals won, it was probably going to be Hamler, Cahill, because sinkers into righties. And I remember, I remember sitting there thinking, like, as soon as I found that out, I was watching game. I think it was uh, game five is when the Dodgers beat them. And I think Kershaw came in and threw. And I remember like being the biggest Dodgers fan in the world. And then the second they won, I was like, okay, now I have to face them. So I, I hate them again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's, that's an amazing, like little, there's like both sides of it. You want to be on the roster, but then, oh, okay. I'm on the roster. And now I'm pitching against the Dodgers with a lot of pressure for my career on the line. So it's like, you know, some people are like, I got, I, you know what I'm saying? Like maybe it'd be better if, if we did face the Nationals and I didn't have to take the time. <laughs> like, I don't know, but you guys in your position, you have to have the confidence to do it. Like, did you, did you believe yeah. in yourself going into that series? Like, or were you, how, I mean, level of nerves one to 10, what would you say? Uh, level of nerves, honestly, until game time is probably right around a five or a six. And for me, it's a little different. Like, I, I think there, there's this like grace period when you first get into the big leagues where as, as nice things is, is you're too dumb to realize what's going on. Like it's the big leagues and there's a third deck and the whole world's in front of you, but you're too dumb to understand the pressure of it because I'm a 24 year old kid and I've put, you know, low A, high A, double A, triple A big leagues. I was like, I belong. And then there's this period where you're like fighting for your big league life. And then that's when I feel like the most pressure is on you. And then once you get past that, it's like, you're a big leaguer and then more pressure comes off. It's like, I belong here. I'm going to be here. So then there's like three levels of it. And I was in the beginning level where it's like, I was happy to be there. I was like, I'm just going to do whatever I can. And, and at the time I was throwing really well. So I wanted the ball every time they could give it to me. I was like, okay, like long relief, no problem. I have three pitch mix. I feel good with. And then if I'd come in for one inning, I'm like, okay, I have two pitches that I can bust out immediately. And I, and I felt good, good with it. So I, I wanted to be in the game, but I mean, there are times where you're struggling and your arsenal's not as good. And maybe you're like, probably best if they avoid me today. But at, at that point I, I felt great. So I was ready to go. How do you best describe like being, allowing yourself to be in the moment? A relief pitcher, every pitch is just feels like a huge pitch, right? and you're talking about like the grace period. Okay. I'm just in the big leagues. I'm happy to be here, but like, there's still like, I would think, cause you, you know, you see guys come in all the time. They walk the first batter because they're, you know, they're not flowing free. Like how, like, how would you explain like when, how you get yourself to like, I'm just, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing the sign. I'm whatever, whatever I'm going to throw and I'm, I'm on target and, and this is it. Boom. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not really thinking about anything other than just throwing strikes basically, I guess. Yeah, that, that, that's pretty much it. The, the more you can just think about a pitch and a spot, the better you can be. So at that time, I, I was super lucky because I'd thrown to Wilson my whole career. I mean, every single level I threw, probably 10, 15 starts to Wilson. And so anytime he caught me, I was like, great, we know exactly what we're doing. And then anytime Montero or Ross caught me, I was like, great, they know exactly what they're doing. And so like, <laughs> I, I, I didn't have to think at all. I was like, okay, like David Ross. I, I remember Wilson once um, – same with uh, we had Bazio as a pitching coach at the time. I was throwing in LA. It was my second outing or third outing, and uh, just Justin Turner comes up and he can't hit a lefty changeup, and it was great because at the time I couldn't throw one either. And so Wilson calls a changeup and I shake, and Wilson calls a changeup again and I 
shake and I hear from the dugout, just throw it. <laughs> and I was like, all right. So I threw it and he popped out to right field. And that's when I realized I was like, these guys have a good handle on what's going on. They're like, they know exactly what they're doing. And so that took a lot of pre- pressure off me because all I had to do was nod my head and throw it. So it was Basio that was yelling. Yeah. He was like, just throw it. And so <laughs> it, it's the funniest thing. Cause if you're watching the game, like I, I, I've watched that video, it didn't look like anything. I just shake, shake, throw, pop out. Oh, but it's a third out of the inning. Like I shake, shake, throw, throw the change and he pops out. And as I'm walking off the mound, I look over at Wilson and he's laughing. And then I start laughing. Cause it's like, he was right. You know what I mean? Like he, he knew better than me. And Wilson was like, I'm telling you throw it. And so that, that's what happened. The catching dynamic on that team was interesting too. Up and coming Wilson, who's still there now. Yeah. Ross, who's movie story last year, hitting home runs in game seven. And then Miggy, uh, who, I mean, underrated. If he doesn't get the base hit to left, I, you, maybe you don't win the World Series. No one really talks about that. And the grand slam against the Dodgers, I mean, that was, that was a, huge. That was, I mean, that was enormous too. Um, I don't know, like the dynamic of those. Was there a lot of competition between those guys, as you remember? Like, I, I, I imagine that Miggy was the most pissed that he wasn't getting as much playing time. Uh, at the time, no, he he never really said anything, and it was it was one of those things where he same with Tommy Lestell. I'll say this about both of those guys: is they always found a way to contribute any way they could. And it's like Tommy Lestell; he's a great baseball player playing every day. But with us, he was a pinch hitter hitting 295 or whatever it was, which is unheard of. Like, it just doesn't happen. And he would just show up every day, good attitude, hit. Same with Montero, especially in the playoffs. He was like, he was in there doing scouting reports. He was in there talking to pitchers. He was always sitting right next to Wilson, going over the team, going over everything. So when you're throwing to Wilson, it's essentially like you're throwing to Montero. And they're both just teaming up and catching for you and yeah, it was one of the best catching groups I've ever seen together because, like, I don't know about talent. You, you, you can argue talent all over the place, whatever. But as far as having a stud in Wilson, a guy in Montero that knows as much as you can know about catching as anybody else, and then same with David Ross, who is the natural-born leader, there was, no, there, there was nothing left out. Like, you felt like you were completely in control of yourself. It's interesting, too, because the way you're describing it, and I, I was watching the, uh, one of the Cubs 90-minute uh, thing on Fubo where I watched it, and they've got Ross coming in in game seven and Contreras coming out, and they hug, and Ross, like, love you, bro, and, like, love you back. That's like, I, I guess you experienced the same thing, right? Yeah, that, that's how they all were, all of them together. They were one big unit, and if, you know, Wilson was starting, Montero was helping him, and David Ross was running the bench. And if Ross was starting, Wilson was the energy, and Montero was helping Ross. And it was like there was always something going on, and they, they always teamed up. It was it was really fun to watch. He also, when he came off after the, you know, Lester comes in, he throws the ball down the right field line, and then you have the, the wild pitch off his face mask, two runs scored, it's 5-3. It was total, from a fan standpoint, it was like heart attack city at the, right then. Yeah. And, and, and he'll listen to Ross coming to the dugout. He just says to Joe, just straight. That's my bad. I didn't have a good grip on it and nothing like that's, that's it. That's it. Like, yeah. like, I'm like, that's a pro. Like you, you own it and move on. And then he's sitting a home run and not affected by it. Really? That, that yeah. I don't, I don't know how you learn that, but like water off a duck's back. I made a mistake. Own it next. 
that's one of the reasons why like a lot of people have reached out after I, I left the Cubs and David Ross got hired. They're like, how's he going to be? It's going to be tough having guys that he's played with at, under him and stuff. And I, I thought he was going to be fantastic. I, th- I think he is going to be a fantastic coach and he, he's done well. It's because that's his mindset. It's like, you, you have a bad game. Like, yeah, you're going to wear it. You're going to go home with it. You're going to go to bed or whatever. But he was always like, Hey, it's over with. I know why I made the mistake. Why would I harp on this anymore? Like just get better. And that's why he stuck around the game for so long is like, he makes a mistake. He's like, okay, this is what I did. I own it. It's done with. And I think that's the only way to play baseball because there's, there's so many emotions involved. There's 40,000 people yelling at you and you're getting booed in your home stand sometimes if you're playing bad. Like it's just, there's so much that goes into it that if you harp on your own mistakes, you're just going to be worn down at all times. I'm thinking about two things here and we'll see where we go. But uh, right before game seven, the media were, I'm walking around in the tunnel and like who's left and what can I get? And I think like, I, I just peered into your clubhouse, like maybe like five minutes before it was closed and Fowler's playing video games. And, and I'm like, y'all about to play the biggest game of your life, but that's, they were, that's, and then there's video of him and Rizzo competing at it. So like, how would you describe what it was like before going out there just in the playoffs period? Like, I don't know, maybe did it feel different from a regular season game? Cause I, I was like stunned. This dude's playing video games for the biggest game of his life. Yeah. And that, that, that's just how guys stayed unwind or unwinded themselves and stayed loose and everything was because the first three games of that series, it kind of felt like the world was like the weight of the world was on us. Cause like, we were getting text messages and we were getting videos sent to us on Twitter. They're like, Hey, my dad's 102 or whatever. And he's never seen a Cubs thing. And he's been a Cubs fan forever. Like he's also has terminal illness. Or whatever. And there's just so much going on. And we we're like, man, this is a lot of weight to bear. And then after we go down three, one, it was like, we're playing baseball and like, we have a chance to do something special. And it just felt like a weight was lifted off our shoulders. I remember walking home after we were down three, one, and I was like, well, I'm going to pack my bags because we lose tomorrow, I go home. If we win tomorrow, I'm going to Cleveland and going home or going back to Chicago and going home. But it just – once my bags were packed, I was like, no matter what, like, the season's over. So I was like, let's just go win three games and, like, go have a parade and everything like that. But, yeah, that, that that's just kind of how it felt. And De- Dexter was great at it. Him and Rizzo were – they'd, like, do something. Someone else would – they would one-up each other and everyone was – like very loose because of those two. And like, he's one of my favorite teammates in the world. Rizzo is too, but Dexter is one of my favorite teammates in the world. Cause like, number one, he had the coolest outfits and he gave us Jordan shoes sometimes, but number two, he, he was just so loose and like free. And like, you, you see it in the way he plays baseball. Like he catches the ball here, like catches it here. Like he's having a good time and he just kept us all in great spirits. I mean, through all that, that's the only way to get through it. Fowler gave away cleats or, or actual hoop shoes actual hoop shoes they're, they're awesome was he a part of the jordan brand is that all he had or would he, he would okay yeah for whatever reason i said at the time like br- bring that dude back um and they, they didn't and I, I got i got the reasons why but even though he didn't wasn't as dynamic in st louis i still think the cubs should regret that move um the madden factor as far as keeping guys loose, it almost sounds like the, the, that clubhouse, because of what you just described, Joe didn't have to do it as much. It was just the personality of the team. But, you know, what was your relationship with Joe and how did you see his impact on the team? Every time I talked to Joe, it was a very pleasant interaction. And what I went through the next three years, you and your manager would usually butt heads. Like I got optioned down, you know, 20 times. 
And so I'd be sitting in my locker, they'd tap me on the shoulder. Hey, Skip wants to see you. And he somehow found a way to make every interaction between me and him a positive one. And that's something I'll always thank him for is because going back to Des Moines, when you're in Chicago is like Des Moines is a great city. I love it. We, we, we draw pretty well. It's one of the better places to play minor league baseball, but it's still minor league baseball. And so they, they would send me down and they'd be like, Hey, like you're a big part of this team, you know, stay ready. We need you to develop your cutter to the back, like backside, whatever it was. And he'd sit there, he'd be like, do you want to have a glass of wine? He, he was just that type of guy. And it was like, it wasn't, it never felt like I was getting demoted. It felt like I was, you know, like ready and waiting for my next opportunity. And um, yeah, I always thank him for that because it was like the most pleasant way to get sent down to the minor leagues. And so, but uh, uh, other than that, it was great. Like every time you got on the bus, you said hi to Joe, he was in the front seat. He'd dap you up, be like, hey, big game today, need you ready, whatever it was. And I felt like I was very close to my manager and I was the, you know, 17th arm in the bullpen. You know, and he treated everybody the exact same. Did you have the glass of wine with him? I, I did once and it was very pleasant. But, but I mean, I, I was a young kid. I was like, no, I'm hungry to get back to the Myers. I'll be back here before you know it. <laughs> then by like my my 30th time being sent down I was like yeah pa- go ahead and pass that over <laughs> I'm gonna need a sip of that he got criticized and it does not sound like you're gonna agree with this but he got criticized that he that he allowed them to be to allow the team to be too loose it was it was you know and he didn't have enough he's done as things went on years went by that he he didn't have control of the clubhouse does that not ring true I, I'm, I'm I'm assuming what what would you say I mean, it depends on who you ask. I know the guys on the team, they really like Joe and everything, but at the same time, winning solves everything, right? Like when Gabe Kapler was in Philadelphia, there was reports of who didn't like him, whatever it was, all the stuff going on. Now he's in San Francisco. They're like, he's got like winning solves everything. And like, no matter what you do, if you lose, like you can be the best manager in the world. You lose a hundred games. They're going to find a reason to get rid of you or find out what you're doing wrong. And, in 2016, Joe could do no wrong because we were winning a bunch of games and we won a bunch of games in 17 and 18 too, but someone had to be the scapegoat to all that. And it just felt like it was Joe and I wasn't there enough. Like if I was there full time, I'd probably have a better grasp on it. But every time I was there, like he was nothing but respectful. The, The team was nothing but respectful to him. So I always loved what he did. And he's one of the best managers in baseball, I think, in my opinion. And there's just sometimes maybe you need, like, especially if you have a younger team, maybe you need more firm, not rules, but more firm, like regulations on what is good and what is bad. But that's just not who he is. He's like, everybody does whatever you want, perform at your best, whatever you need to do. And I I love that, especially for me as a young guy, because I got up thinking like, I'm going to have to do this and I'm going to have to follow these rules. I don't want to step on these toes. And I got there and he was like, wear whatever you want, do whatever you want, pitch good. And it made it very easy for me. I interviewed uh, Ross when the rumors were coming out. He was promoting something. It was, I think it was a baby's thing. And uh, I didn't know if he – I'm like, well, I'm going to ask him. I don't know if he's going to answer it. And so I just kind of casually just said, uh, you know, Dave, a lot of people are naming you as a potential uh, Cubs manager down the line, you know, perhaps next season replacing Joe Madden. Or, you know, are you interested in doing that? And I was surprised. He's like, he's like, he's like yeah, man, great question. You know, I, um, you know, I, I, I certainly – uh, would, you know, it's always something that I've, you know, like th- at least thought about. And I, and I said to him, like, for the record, I don't think they should fire Joe Madden. He's like, I don't think so either. I really appreciated that he was both honest in his desire and um, the respect that he had for Joe. 
I know there were certain guys who wanted more structure, like they wanted BP every day and stuff like that, but that, that didn't yeah. seem like it was very pervasive. It, it's also a thing where like, I've been in four different organiza- organizations now, I think four. Yeah, I've, I've been in four and uh, it's, you go from one to the other. Sometimes it's hard to adapt. Like with the Cubs, there was no rules. I go to the Dodgers, there's even less rules. And then I go to the Orioles and it's like, do it this way, do it this way. And, and they, they're kind of transitioning into that, like do things yourself type of way. And the, the Marlins was kind of, kind of like a mixture of both. And so I usually just kind of adapt to wherever I'm at. I'm like, okay, there's strict rules. I'm going to follow the strict rules. If there's not, I'm going to be laid back. Like it's not really that big of a problem for me, but for some guys it's like, you go from like structure to nothing. You feel like days are wasted. Like if you take BP every day, let's say six days a week and you go to the Cubs and they're like, whatever you want it's like sometimes you're sitting in the locker room for six hours before a game because you showed up at one and you're like i'm not getting better and so yeah it's just it's one of those things where i could see maybe new guys coming in or guys who've been like with a team for 10 years and then come over to the cubs and they're like this is outrageous but now it's getting more common and i think now like joe proved that and now the dodgers do it like letting people do what they think is best they'll usually do what's best for each other and the ones that don't aren't around for a long time. So you just kind of weed, weed the people out that way. Did you feel an impact uh, just from Theo, Jed, I don't know, Jason McLeod, whoever, like, could you feel their presence when you were there? Yeah, a little bit, but not in a negative way, more in a, in a positive way. They're always bouncing around. They were like there, but not overly there, which I thought they did a really good job of because if, you're the GM of a team, you can be in the locker room all day and making sure you're micromanaging every little thing going on and like seeing everything. But Jed and Theo and uh, Jason and uh, the guy that I latched onto the most name was Jaron Madison. Um, I love him. He was, uh, I can't remember what his position was. He kind of did a couple things. But um, when I got to the big leagues, I remember we won to go to the World Series and I gave him a hug and I was like, because the first thing he asked me when he called me up, we're sitting in a room, he goes, can you throw out of the pen? And I was like, definitely. He goes, are you sure? And I was like, definitely. He goes, okay, you're going to the big leagues. And uh, I, I gave him a big hug and I was like, I told you I could throw out of the pen. Like I told you. And like, he, he's just one of those guys, but they always did a really good job of like being there, but not in a negative way. I never felt like, oh, Theo's watching or, oh, Jed's watching. They're always super supportive and they celebrated with us when we were doing good. And they mourned with us when we were doing bad, you know, like they were along for the ride with us. It never felt like all oh, the players are playing bad or we're playing good. You know what I mean? They were along for the ride. and That's how you create close relationships. That's interesting. What, what would you say the biggest challenge starter reliever for you was? Uh, starter reliever. It's I did long relief in Chicago for the most part. And then I'd come in, I, I started throwing pretty well and they started throwing me a little bit later in games, but I mean, we had Strope Rondone and Chapman at the end. So they, they didn't need, need, need me for that role at all. But the biggest thing is going from a starter to a reliever is a little bit easier than the other way around. And I kind of learned that the hard way. I was a starter my whole career and they're like, throw out of the pen. And I was like, okay, no problem. And then they threw me as a pen guy. And then I'd go back to Iowa and they'd be like, okay, start. And I'm like, Ooh, <laughs> I don't know if I can do that. So yeah, it, it's a lot easier for me. So every off season I train as if I'm going to be a starter, I go into spring training ready to throw three to four innings. And then if they say, hey, you're a reliever or whatever, I'm like, no problem. I can make that move. But the worst thing is like be ready for one or two innings. And they say, hey, we want to stretch you out because then it, you got to relearn how to throw 
different like counts and then you're you're, you're throwing at less of an intent because it's easy to like throttle up it's very hard to throttle back down where are you at right now rob as far as the career how, how are you looking at things uh, i'm as optimistic as I've, I've ever been with it and uh after my arm surgery i had a fracture in my elbow since i was 13 and as long as it didn't do anything we weren't going to do anything to it when the cubs drafted me they knew it was there and uh as soon as I broke it, I had surgery, I had a screw put in. I was, I was a little concerned. I was like, is it going to feel different to throw? Am I going to lose range of motion and everything? And Dr. Meister did my surgery, a guy up in Arlington. Yeah. And uh, he was like, it might feel different. He's like, but it also might feel a lot better. And I was like, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll see. And then, so I go out to the Marlins this year. I tried to play a little bit early because I was like, I got to get out there and contribute. It's just been my mindset forever. And uh, I was like 90 to 92, touching three every now and then arm didn't feel that great. So I ended up taking three weeks off and uh, they, they sent me back to Jupiter. They put me on anti-inflammatories and they're like, let this thing fully heal and then we'll bring you back. And when I came back, I was 93 to 95 and I've, it's the best I've ever felt in my life. It's just, I've had a crack in my elbow for a long time. And the same with the lad injury, I learned how to throw differently. I'm using my body the way that it should. So I'm 29 years old. I figure I got a handful of good years left and I want to go out and show that. You see yourself strictly out of the pen right now? Uh, no, I, I'm going to go into this season as a starter. And yeah. uh, I threw really well out of the pen for the Marlins. So I think I might get signed as, as a pen guy if I get signed. and uh, I, I won't know for another two days what the interest is or anything like that. But I like throwing out of the pen. I was throwing back in inning seven, eight, nine. And it kind of, kind of felt nice to do that. You know, watching guys like Wade Davis and all those guys prepare kind of actually prepared me for that role. And, I really enjoyed it. So if that's something that I'm going to do forever, great. And I feel like I can be a guy for a team, you know, that, that left the, the Andrew Chafin that the Cubs had last year, like somebody like that, that can like bridge the gap and can kind of do multiple roles. If you need him to close a game, no problem. If you need him to throw two innings, sure. And, uh, but the, the other thing is my, my heart has always been a starter. So that's something that I'll be able to do. I've been doing it for 22 of my 29 years of life. So I'll have no problem doing that either. Shaven's attitude was unbelievable wearing the great. failed starter t-shirts and everything else that that guy did. It was just, yeah. and he just, he seemed to live in the moment. Hey, dude, this was awesome. I, uh, I really appreciate catching up with you. I had one more that you just dialed up talking about preparation, watching Chapman prepare. What, what would anything stand out with him? He was just always keeping himself loose. Like he got to the field he, he was more relaxed because he, he didn't show up to the pen until about the sixth inning. But he had his like method. He did exactly what he thought was right. And uh, like I, I know more about it now, but hip shoulder separation where your hips fire and your shoulder stays back and stuff like that is he was always doing drills. And he's just one of the most physically gifted people I've ever seen. But everyone's like, oh, you know, I could throw 102 if I look like that. But you don't look like that without an extreme work ethic. And that's exactly what he has. And like just watching from afar was like, as soon as he got to the team, I was like, this guy's, you know, the freak. He's the Cuban missile. Like, he throws 100 because of that's just how he was born. He was born to throw baseball. But really, he works harder than anybody else. And he was always in the weight room. He was always, like, he had guys with him that would, like, help him. He always stayed loose. He had massages all the time. And he iced his knees to make, make sure that his landing and brace were good. Like, he was just always prepared. You mentioned it. Like you're getting all these tweets and uh, 102 years and so and so's dying and yeah. I always see like everyone's like eh, there's no, I don't believe in curses like neither do I but I did think at least at that time until the Cubs won it 
there was more pressure wearing that uniform in the playoffs because of how long it had been. So I, yeah. to me, to that, to that point of it, like it, it's real, like it was there. You, you had to have felt it. It, it was everywhere. Yeah. And I'll, uh, I'll tell you my favorite, my favorite quote of the world series after I tell you, like, you're exactly right. It's not, it's not a curse of Billy goat or anything like that. It might've been like, I, I whatever, but it, it was just like the emphasis on our team in the playoffs was like, it like it, you almost felt way down, but the reason our team was so good in 16 was like, we loved that. Like those guys like Rizzo and Brian and all them, like they embraced it. And it's, it's a hard thing to do. Like it's, it's a hard thing to embrace. And like, we wouldn't be the Chicago Cubs without the Chicago Cubs fans. And they were loud. They were like, I remember when Montero hit that grand slam, we we're talking about against the Dodgers. It's the first time I felt the world shake. <laughs> I, I, I was like, this is probably what an earthquake feels like. Like I've never, I've never been in one and I'll never forget that moment. Cause I remember sitting in the pen and I stood up and I got fired up and like, I, I've never seen the video of it, but immediately I just started looking around. Cause I was like, I just felt an earthquake. Like there was something just happened, but the world shift, the whole world shifted. But my favorite quote was when Davis hit the home run off Chapman he's super choked up so like worst case he like pokes one through the gap right yeah. and he just somehow connects on the ball left field and it leaves it's dead silent in our dugout and i know the the crowd's going crazy but for some reason all i heard was silence because like my world had just got rocked so i'm sitting there and albert almora just without changing anything goes maybe we are cursed <laughs> <laughs> i laughed so hard because i mean he, he ended up scoring that run too and he he was a huge reason we, we won the whole thing and he was just sitting there not playing in the game yet. And he was just like, maybe this thing's real, man, because there's no way that should have just happened. And he's, he, gets, he was right. He gets credit for the tag up. I interviewed him after the game. He's like, he, cause he, he kind of overslid home, home plate. And he went back and stepped on it again. So he's like, yeah. I don't want to be that guy that missed, missed the plate. There were so many just different dudes contributing. There's CJ Montgomery, all of it. Rob, I'm going to make this a thing at the 10 year. We're going to do this again. All right. We'll see where you're at at that point. Let's, that, that sounds great. Yeah. And I'm, uh, I'm all in. Thanks brother. And I, I see you uh, putting the tweets out there. I, I feel like a media career might be headed your way after this all. Hopefully you get to play for another five years or more, but maybe, maybe that's in your future too, huh? Yeah. I, uh, I like to make people laugh. I like to like, that's been my thing as a teammate, like even Ben's over one time, you need to find the video and send it to me because I, <laughs> I watched it and they, they asked who the funniest guy on the team was. It was spring training, you know, when you're doing all the interviews, like, welcome to Sloan Park. My name's Ben Zobers. And they, they asked him who the funniest guy on the team was. He was like, actually, Rob Zestrizny is one of the funnier guys on the team, believe it or not. And I need that video because I want to put it all over everything because <laughs> that, that was awesome. But, yeah, I, I like making people laugh. That one I did not expect to be that popular. I know he just hit the monster home run and everything, but it was a true story. And the only reason I thought of it is because when he hit the home run, he stood there in the box for a second. I was like, I, I've seen that. And I was like, where have I seen that? And I was like, oh yeah, o Omaha. He, he, he did that off me. And I, I got to see it from that view too. Oh, right. We're talking about Solaire, right? The, the, yeah. No one, no one had hit a home run farther than you. Uh, well, you didn't say it like that, but that's, that sounds about right. That's Jorge Soler yeah. is, the, is the biggest bomb yeah. you've ever given up. Yeah. He, he legitimately apologized to me the next day. He was like, hey, sorry, Poppy. And we, we had just won a World Series ago. So she's like, sorry, Poppy. And I was like, dude, you're good, man. Like, you're doing your job. I need to do my job a little bit better. But, uh, yeah, I, I got to hop off. My wife's got a job okay. interview, actually. So Okay. Okay. My bad. Hey, Rob, be good. good. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you.
All right, this is kind of a thrill for me. I'm in the corner with Rob Z. Everyone's parting around. You, you look like you're having sort of a reflective moment right now. Yeah, sorry if I get emotional here. It just kind of hit me all at once. Uh, you know, I started the year in Double A, and you know, I, all I wanted to do was get to Triple A. And... Now it's all kind of hitting me like. All this work I put in and all the blood, sweat, and tears I put into this game led me to this moment. And, you know, it's just the start of my career, and I'm going to build off this and look to move on to the future. But for the next foreseeable future, I'm just going to enjoy every second of this. This program was recorded on tape for a live audience. I'll tell you what, there was so much going on during the game that the cameras didn't see. And uh, if we had three hours, I'd sit down and take you through the entire thing. But... I saw on Twitter they already know about the meeting with Hayward down uh, during the rain delay, man. I'll never forget what Jason Hayward said. Like, there's so much stuff that went on behind the scenes, like Anthony Rizzo jumping around, doing the Rocky punches before the game, keeping us loose. I was sitting in there, and I didn't say anything at the time. I clapped my hands and stuff, but I was so shocked, like... I couldn't believe that one man, and he's a big man too, one man could just change the way everyone in a room thought just by the words coming out of his mouth. Now we were down 3-1 at home, and he basically started playing the Rocky song and started playing all these old school hits and going crazy, like letting us know like he ain't scared, like we shouldn't be scared as a team. And, you know, when you see a guy who's so talented on the field and such a leader at such a young age too like you see him he's 26 27 whatever i need to get better with ages obviously but congratulations on all of it big time day for you and, and the team obviously thank you and th thanks for sitting down with me in this corner <laughs> it was my pleasure for sure Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today.